This is the Bob McCown Podcast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Damian Cox in for Bob on this Friday. Kevin Paul DuPont of the Boston Globe will join us, uh, presumably for a little bit of hockey talk. But I, I, I do think that, uh, you know, you veteran scribes, can I call you a veteran scribe? You, you veterans, you veteran scribes have lots of opinions on lots of things. So I, I think that uh, rather than worrying just about hockey today, we might throw a few other things into the uh, into the hopper to see what uh, what you'll react to. Well, I mean, and for those who may or may not know Kevin really well, as, or as well as you and I do, I mean, he's one of the really interesting guys out there. First of all, he's a fantastic writer, just a fantastic writer. Um, and has covered sports in Boston for a long period of time. Um, he's a funny guy, but he's a guy with a sense of, and an understanding of the history of sports, both from a personal basis and from covering them. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think uh, for, for me anyways, sometimes what is lacking in sports these days is that sense of perspective, is that sense of, well, you know, actually, this guy isn't the very, very best that he was, but this guy who did it, who played in 81 was. And, right. you know, and and uh, Kevin's certainly a guy who really uh, supplies that kind of stuff. Great to talk to. Well, as uh, regular listeners to the podcast uh, know that uh, Kevin's on a lot, as is Bob Ryan. And yep. both the both Globe uh, alumni that, uh, that uh, we enjoy having on. And there's there seems to be that, I don't know. Boston's one of those towns. I think they're, it's their pure love of all sport that makes Boston so much fun, even to us Canadians and ties to the Maritimes, yep. ties to Toronto, Boston rivals, to Montreal, Boston rivalries, Vancouver, Boston rivalries. There's rivalries all over the place with everybody from Boston. And that's one of the re- cool reasons why a guy like Kevin fits into our show so many times. So it's Damien, Kevin, Paul DuPont and me. After this. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the BetRivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. Welcome back to the podcast, Damian in for Bob, who's still on uh, injured reserve, getting better every day. We'll hear from him on Monday. Uh, with us is our pal from uh, Boston and, in, and now in Buffalo for a couple of days visiting family, Kevin Paul DuPont of the Boston Globe. I was going to, uh, the whole goal of today was to talk hockey, but <laughs> I, I, I don't think I can s- start today without marveling that there's a new book out accusing Phil Mickelson of betting more than a billion dollars, a billion dollars on golf. Will it be? Or or, or I guess I I assume golf, but on betting a billion dollars on sports. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. (laughs) A billion dollars. Yeah. This sounds like Casablanca. I'm shocked that there's gambling going on. (laughs) You are not shocked that professional athletes gamble incredible amounts of money. Come on. I thought Pete Rose was the anomaly. That, that, that number yeah. to me is staggering. I have to say that. It, it's, yeah, I, I guess now it's, it's not surprising that anybody gambles. And when you make that much money, sure. But, but you know, a, a lifetime, well, I don't even know a lifetime, but in a stretch of, of betting a billion dollars and netting out with 
100 million in losses. Yow. But you know, um, the uh, uh, why am I always in the position of defending Phil Mickelson? I feel like I've been in that position like all, all of 2023, but he has admitted he had a serious gambling problem. Like, it's not yep. like he's he's trying to tell the world something else. He has admitted this. And presumably, it's his money to piss away if he wants, if that's what he wants to do with it. Um, it's his to, to do with whatever he wants. And we know all kinds of athletes, not to mention, you know, regular life people who, you know, waste their money on any number of different things. And in a world in which, and I think the three of us, I'm guessing, are all still adjusting to and imagining this new world in which golf, or golf, gambling is not only tolerated. We don't, we don't call it gambling. Encouraged. We don't call it, we don't call it gambling. Sports wagering. Right. Sports wagering. Okay. Or, or, gaming or whatever. But, you know, like, why would we be surprised? This is what the this is what sports uh, business wants to encourage everybody to do. Yeah. Well, it, well, and, and listen. The big news this week, other than other than uh, a few acquisitions here and there, was that ESPN now are they're going into this business uh, whole hog, having uh, having basically bought a uh, a book. They bought a book, and they're going to uh, start. And they, in the last couple of years, you've seen the lines on a lot of their score tickers, but uh, they're going to be much more proactive in, in the gambling industry, I would suspect, Kevin, don't you? Oh, certainly. I'm, frankly, I'm surprised it's taken this long. One, one of my many incorrect predictions, by the way, uh, of I would say three to four years ago, was this, this was the way the athletic would go. Because when I looked at the athletic as a business proposition, I said, well, they're trying to make money doing journalism. Guess what? That's a losing proposition. But as I watched them build out the platform, and to give them credit, much of their journalism is very good. And obviously, they've, they've gone back and forth with the model. But I thought that was, was set up from, from Jump Street to be it, to ultimately to be built out as a, as a gambling platform, which they haven't. Uh, ESPN or anybody that goes into it at this point, and, and maybe I'll be proven right down the road on the athletic. Maybe that's where they'll go. But uh, my my uh, lack of a better word, my rub with all of it isn't the gambling because I've done my fair share of not sports gambling over the years, but enjoyed my annual trip to Vegas, and I don't I don't see it as a as a worldly sin. What what I don't like about it is, and we're watching it by the minute here in sports and this one i was right about and uh, along with many people that it's just going to capture the narrative uh, it, it and between the narrative of analytics capturing sports and this capturing sports where i got in a long long time ago doesn't resemble anything where we are today or and and frankly i think sucks the marrow of enjoyment out of it isn't it isn't it more make it more um real world real politic in that this is always what it was but we came along and grew up in an era in which sports journalism sports writing in many ways was about uh myth making and 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 in a lot of ways with athletes as with politicians for example mm -hmm. kind of looking the other way yeah we all know this stuff's going on but how about this wonderful story of courage and determination and all these other things when all this stuff has always been going on and at least kind of people are being open and honest about it now that this is what it's about. It's about making money. It's about sports entertainment. We've called it mm -hmm. sports for too long. It's sports entertainment, the business of sports entertainment there is no better example of that than the hometown hockey team here, the Toronto Maple Leafs. I laugh now when people talk about how, you know, their terrible record. And I think, what business do you think these guys are in? They have a <laughs> tremendous record. They, are, they have won multiple Super Bowls given how if you if you measure success in a real world of making money and selling things and 
building your brand and increasing the equity of, of what you own, there's nobody more successful than them. And I think gambling kind of speaks to that, right? This is, it's, it's business. It's business for everybody. It's business for the athletes. It's business for the owners. And now it's become business for many fans as well. I guess the innocence is gone, but should we ever have really believed in the innocence? Well, let me just throw this at you. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the tip of the pyramid in North America is the National Football League. Uh, I, I actually still watch the NFL for the score. You know, home team, road team, you know, 35-24. But, uh, there, you know, there's guys in my family, there's guys in my neighborhood, there's guys that I deal with on a regular basis that don't really end up caring about the score. They care about their fantasy league and their fantasy team. And so it, it, it's not a case of, uh, you know, the, the, you know the, the Philadelphia Eagles uh, winning the game, but how many, how many yards did the quarterback throw for how many how many yards did the running back run because in the end that's what was more important for their fantasy team whether the eagles won or lost sure so so i guess what we're saying is there there are more slices to take from the apple now that the yeah that probably well many of those slices did exist when we got in be it the 50s 60s 70s right hold on hold on hold on hold on 50s Okay. <laughs> All right. Really? For you, John, the thirties, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I just, I'm just saying that they, they existed, but that's not what drew us to it. I mean, what drew, right. what drew me to Fenway park was going with my old man and trying to, trying to find out the strategy of the game uh, and, and, and then appreciating the personalities and booing the guys we didn't like booing the Yankees, whatever. I, I suppose those touch points are still there. But there are now all these other touch points that, again, I say, are, are really drowning out all, the, not all, but much of that. The connection points with, with a parent, the connection points with learning the strategy of the game. So many people now are learning the strategy of the betting of the game right. or the analytics that, that, frankly, the analytics thing drives me crazy. Uh, it's almost like they're watching the numbers play and not the athletes play and, and not let, not appreciating performance, but appreciating how the numbers fall. It, it doesn't do anything for me, but again, whatever you want to find in it, uh, that's up to you. And, and if that's what brings you pleasure, if your pleasure is being in that group of fantasy, whether it's, you know, women in the office, guys in the office, whatever, I, I think, I think that's okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's just not what I like. Well, yeah, I mean, that, uh, go ahead, Damien, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, my observation is that as many people as I see are, are deriving exactly that, Kevin, great pleasure from this as much as I ever have from watching, just watching the games. I've never bet. I mean, not really. I, I don't bet and I don't play fantasy anything. I live in a fantasy world, so I don't need to play fantasy. Um, yes, you do. I, I, yes, I know. And, <laughs> uh, but, you know, but, I see people with a, having a great deal of fun with it. And, you know, and I was, and I was, I'm struck too. And I, I do think that there's an interesting part of all this, because what Kevin was talking about going to the ball game with his dad and learning to hate the Yankees and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, like, what about the history of the Red Sox at that point, the real history of the Red Sox, you know, in a lot of ways and, and their, you know, how they became, they were so reluctant to, for example, except African-Americans in the game. You didn't know that growing up. You, you were just a fan. And right. there are, it's just like when I was a fan growing up with the Toronto Maple Leafs, watching them in the 70s, I didn't know there was a pedophile ring operating out of Maple Leaf Gardens. So, like, we've grown up in a well, world no, where... Nobody, nobody really knew that, Damon. No, That's, no, no. It, it, it... Well, exactly. No, I'm, I'm, yeah. no, but I'm saying, but now that we know does it kind of overwhelm a lot of things or really color the, our, our understanding of things? Yeah, it does. And so I feel like maybe we were the last generation to live in that kind of, in a, the world of innocence is wrong because we've always, we, all three of us have seen too much money come into sports, but this belief that it was about cheering for the home team and that everybody was trying their best to win 
and that everybody was, you know, generally being treated fairly and, mm-hmm. you know, how, you know, the, 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 what was it? Frank Merriwell, wasn't he the great, the writer, you know, the, the way in which, um, sports was regarded as, uh, uh, well, in, in fact, it was called the, you know, the playroom at a lot of, you know, newspapers, those days are definitely gone. But, but let me ask you this. It, it leads me to a question for both of you. You first, Kevin. Because you've earned your living for so long following sports, writing about sports, are you a fan still? Are you a fan of any sport? Are you a fan of anything else? I mean, you, you almost say, are you a fan of anything but hockey? Yeah. <laughs> My sarcastic answer is I'm, I'm a fan of a two-hour, ten-minute game. <laughs> <laughs> Any game, any game that ends in two ten is my sport. Uh, yes, I am. I am uh, in 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 that I can still get absorbed in a game. I can get a, when when it's a good match from Wimbledon and Damian and I both have had the fortune of being there uh, and 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 really seeing great athletes perform at the highest level in a, in an intense match. That still that still absorbs me. Uh, I don't see a lot of it. There's, there's, you know, I, I'm responsible for covering the better part of 82 Bruins games a year at, at one level or another, be it beat or, or commentary. There's not a lot of those games that are, are absorbing. Uh, but, you know, when it when it's a really good game and it doesn't have to be the Super Bowl, often the Super Bowl isn't a good game. But if you get two good teams and there's strategy in it, then I, I don't even have to know the narrative of, of the athletes. Um yeah, I, I'm. I'm still in there. I'm. I'm still in it as a fan of good competition, good game, and if I if I want to peel back, as Damien's talking about, and he's absolutely correct on in many of these levels, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'd be turned away because of, of the the money making of it and the and the you know the mendacious characters who own these teams and the rest of it, but. Mm. It, I can if I can zero down into it and and look at it as two or three hours of entertainment. Yes, yeah, I can still be a fan. Yeah, I, what you I mean, oh yeah, absolutely, I can still be a fan. I went just last week. I went to I played a lot of, of box lacrosse lacrosse growing up, and I went to a game in the Ontario final between Orangeville and Burlington, and I was absolutely engrossed in the match and the competition, and I didn't know a single player going in. But because of the way we approach these things, you quickly figure out who the important guys are and who we need to watch and all that sort of stuff. And I just had a hoot and a holler for watching it. I still kind of cheer for the, my hometown Hamilton Tiger Cats. I still cheer pretty much for the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame because I grew up watching Lindsey Nelson do the Irish in an hour uh, way back in the early 70s and have never stopped watching them then. And I'll tell you, you know, lots of new stuff. I am engrossed in this women's world cup of soccer i have just found it fantastic to watch so there are lots of sports where i sort of go yeah you know and uh, about the style of game and you know i i watch bits and pieces but there's lots of sports i can really get into and and even you know we've got the canadian open tennis up here we saw what nick taylor did with the uh, canadian open golf a couple months ago so yeah, I can still be a fan, and in some ways, being less involved than either one of you are now in uh, professional sports, I get to be a fan a little bit more, and I and I kind of enjoy it. Well, okay, uh, Damien, would you pay to go? I mean, I know you would pay, pay to go. Well, so if I said, actually, I, uh, it's funny. Um, yesterday morning, I'm sitting at home and I looked at the schedule, and, and it's it's eight o'clock in the morning, and I said, well, the Jays are playing in Cleveland at one o'clock. I could get in my car and drive to Cleveland and be there for 12:30 and watch the Jays play. And, and I actually thought about it for a second. Yeah. And I checked online. There were lots of good tickets available. Would you would you pay to go to a, an event still? Absolutely. Um, some there's a lot of things I wouldn't pay to. Um, I wouldn't buy a Toronto Maple Leaf playoff ticket. Uh, I mean. Do, do, I do they have? They do happen, right? They do happen. Yes, they have. Them. <laughs> um, and it, extra it, for it, the it wins. Can, not to bore you with my personal life, but it becomes kind of situational. Like my son and I, last year, we in the summer we went down 
to Detroit, which is a great place to go, by the way. It is a great place to spend time now. We saw a couple of Blue Jays games in a weekend series with the Tigers. And then this past winter, we went one day. We saw, let me see, it was the, it was the Raptors and the Pistons at noon, the Lightning and the Red Wings at 7, and then the next day we saw University of Michigan basketball play Wisconsin. And we wow. just had a, a great old time. So will I pay? Absolutely, I'll pay. My challenge, and this is where the old man of me gets into it, I'm not so keen about going down where there's gigantic crowds and it takes me four hours to get in and out and all that sort of stuff. If I know, you know, like, like what you were just saying there, John, drive to Cleveland, place will be half full, watch the ball mm -hmm. game, drive. Yeah, that I can get into. Some of the other stuff, unfortunately, here in Toronto, we're not blessed with facilities, in my personal opinion, that are either easy to get to or necessarily pleasant to be at. So I think it's a bad example. If I lived in Detroit with what they've got down there, holy smokes, what an operation they've got going in downtown Detroit right now. Yeah. What about you, Kevin? I mean, you're, uh, I mean, you've got kids uh, all over the, uh, going to college on the East coast. Uh, yeah. Would you go and pick them up and take them to a, to an event? Uh, if my son wanted to go, I, I would do it in a second. Uh, he's, he's never evinced that interest. Uh, he, he, he played, he actually had some skill as a young kid, and, but just didn't like, didn't like the whole sports thing. I, I was never going to force it. Um, and, you know, he's, he's, he's gone off into academia now and does quite well, and he's quite happy without it and goes out and runs a little, and, and that's sports for him, which is, you know, that's great. Uh, would I go alone? Would I go alone? Absolutely not, just because uh, not something I'd, I'd want to do. If it was a, ba a pal, a guy at work wanted to go to a game and say, let's do yeah. it. I, yeah, I, I would do something like that. But I have to say, too, uh, not to turn this into boohoo, but most everyone in my industry, the print industry, has been, uh, you know, financially uh, from a pay scale crushed over the last 20 years. So when I look at the prices, I, I, it's, it's it's so out of kilt compared to where where people in my business have leveled off or fallen off that I, I, I frankly, I find it very hard to believe anybody pays the prices. Uh, yeah. it, it's, 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 it's excruciating to watch, uh, but people do it. Well, and the other point, and all of us have uh, worked in television and seen the changes in television over the past, whatever, 20, like television is great to watch sports. in now, I, I mean, you you say do you want to do you want to go down to the arena and watch the Leafs play the Bruins, or do you want to sit at home and watch the broadcast? And in a lot of ways, sitting at home and watching the broadcast is a better experience in terms of actually watching the game. You see more. You can stop the game. You can replay your own stuff. You can do a, a million different things. The quality of broadcast coverage of sports in general and professional sports in particular, I think, has got to such a level that. I'm not necessarily being there sure that being there live is is in any way better than being there at home watching. What's the bit what so based on that, what's the best event either of you have been to? One event that if I said what's the we're greatest gonna have, sporting we're gonna event? We're going to have the same one. You're what well, you're going to talk about Wimbledon, are you? Well, I well, I was going to say Kevin goes first, but I was there. I'm pretty sure Kevin was there for what people still talk about was the greatest match ever between Federer and Nadal and uh, whatever year that was, 2000, whatever. Um, and I, 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 the thing I always tell people about that match that is amazing, it's one of the, A, it's one of the few matches I actually made notes from and kept those notes. Over all these years, all these events, I kept no notes. I did from that match. And, and, and the thing I always tell people, the thing that you, that you didn't see on TV for that particular thing was how dark it was when the match was in its final few points. So that would be right there for me. And, and I don't know if Kevin shares that or not. Well, sure, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's right there and it's very hard to parse these out. For me, it's, it's game six of the 1975 World Series. The, the, you know, the fist oh, home, run, fisk home sure. run on it. Um, uh, where were you sitting? Just where 
Well, in that instance, I had gone out. My my father was in the stands with my brother-in-law. So actually, I, I zipped over to the third section 29 grandstand and watched the Fisk home run from there. No uh, way. Yeah. So I was I was with them and and as as the ball bounced off, I literally jumped down one of those vomitoriums. It was probably like <laughs> six to eight feet because uh, yeah, my job then was to get to the locker room, right? So, yeah. <laughs> and, and earlier that uh, earlier that game, watching the Carbo home run, sure. Uh, no, it was just a lot of a lot of great things. And I was just out of college and just starting my my work career. So that 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 will always last with me. I, I will say to be more current, one of the mo uh, more pleasurable things I've been to in a long time and picking up on Damien talking about the women in the soccer. Uh, I, I found myself recently uh, watching women's high level or college softball. Uh, oh, really? I, yeah, I just love watching them. I mean, they're good players. <laughs> and, you know, uh, and then I've got a niece who, who plays at Princeton and she's a hell of a hitter third base catch and i've, I've wow. been to a couple of her games uh and i and i love watching them and again it's it's easy when when, when you think you know what you're watching and i do <laughs> i think right. I, it's <laughs> easy when you think you know you, you you do dial right into the okay what's the strategy here absolutely what's the manager gonna do you know what you know it, it, it's I, I came away from one game telling my wife all the mistakes the manager had made <laughs> So it's I, I love getting I, I do love getting wrapped up like that. You know, it's funny the uh uh the Red Sox game you're talking about uh in many ways um was the first time we saw uh, a replay on television away from the baseball or away from the puck or away from the football. Um and it was from a camera that was stationed inside the scoreboard at Fenway Park. Uh, and, uh, it just so happens the guy that was running NBC sports at the time, a guy named Scotty Connell, uh, was in charge of all the replays that night. And it, and, and that was a, that was a game changing event in television too, because the isolated replay, you know, to finally see something away from where the scoring play occurred. Um, and that was 1975. And we yeah. didn't we didn't have enough very much equipment then that would allow you to do that. But NBC had lots of money and and they said we gotta we gotta show Fisk waving at the ball to go around the pole, waving and waving, and that changed a lot. And and uh, it's one of those ones where you say, okay, well, how do we take that kind of stuff and put it to hockey? How do we do it to football? The, you know, the replay of the wide receiver running his route, uh, and it's something we take for granted now. But that that Fisk home run. In many ways, in many ways, was great for Red Sox fans and revolutionized television, in my opinion, uh, for so many. We are going to. Oh, what were you going to say, Damien? I was just going to say one very quick thing because isn't it so funny that that series meant something significant to all three of us in different ways? For I didn't grow up in a sports family. My parents were English immigrants. Certainly not a baseball family. But for some reason, in some circumstances, which I can't even tell you what they were, my father and I watched that series with, yeah. with the Red Sox and that and I remember it so well I remember the players on both teams for some reason and I can't I can't remember the two of us watching any World Series together other than that particular one which is so memorable for me and uh, for anybody under the age of 50 you'll have to go to YouTube and find it because <laughs> <laughs> and it really was it really was a phenomenal story a dramatic time when this was when a time when the Red Sox couldn't win World Series. One way or the other, they weren't going to win a World Series, whether it be, whether it be against the Cardinals or whether it be against the Reds or whoever. They were never going to win a World Series. The curse was the, of the Bambino was in full throttle in 1975. We are actually, uh, the plan on this show was to talk a little bit of hockey, uh, <laughs> particularly the Atlantic Division, but uh, Phil Mickelson got us off track and... <laughs> Who would have bet on that? Uh, it certainly wouldn't have been me. Kevin Paul DuPont, Damian Cox, John Shannon, the McCowan podcast for a Friday. Back after this. Damian Cox in for Bob. Kevin DuPont uh, of the Boston Globe with us. Um, 
Boys, the uh, the Atlantic Division, um, with the Bruins, with the retirement of their captain, and who knows who knows who else. I assume David Krejci's not going to play again. Um, the Maple Leafs going through what they're going through with a new general manager, uh, and then you see all the improvements made in Buffalo, in Detroit, and in Ottawa. Can somebody, maybe Kevin, you first define what you think the Atlantic Division is going to look like by the end of the season? I'm horrible at this. I, I, last year with the Bruins, I I predicted the Bruins would would we be, all did, yeah, yeah. Predicted the Bruins would be a number seven or eight seed, and of course <laughs> they always had a perfect season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nailed another one. So I'm gonna re I'm gonna reach back to last year's and tell you that I was just prescient and that uh, here it is. And I've got them again as a number seven or eight seed. But yeah. all the things you're saying are true. I, I, I think I, I, I'm in Buffalo now and I've been saying to friends and relatives here that I think, think this is going to be a different year for Buffalo. I think they're, I think they're going to get in there and they're very, they're very, uh, let's say pessimistic here at Buffalo, but that's going to be true because they've, they've had their hearts broken so many times, but I, I think they're better. Ottawa is obviously better. Uh, you know, they go out and get themselves an elite scorer. So I, I just, I, I think it's going to be tighter. Um, uh, I think Ottawa, maybe the goaltending is still in question, but well, Corpus Allo is there now. So, I mean, at least yeah. he's got a bit of a track record, right? He does. He does. I mean, am I, am I fully on board with him? No, but I do think he's no. good. I mean, uh, that's, that's the old leaf game, right? Take somebody else's backup or share, share a job who's done a good job in that and say, Oh, he's going to be our number one. And it just never works because number one's, are so difficult to come by and require such a mindset, I think, that it often doesn't happen. So we'll see how he handles that one. Two thoughts on, on just that. I, I mean, the Montreal Canadiens, you didn't mention them, and nor should you. I think no. people in Montreal should start getting their heads around the fact that this is going to be a bad team for a long time. And and Montreal being Montreal, they keep thinking, oh, we'll just turn this around quickly and it'll all be fine we'll be back. It's going to be a bad team for a while. Um, the team that I'm, I'm a little more bullish on than the Buffalo Sabres is the Detroit Red Wings. I really, I'm a big Steve Eiserman uh, believer. I think the moves they made, you know, to all the different things that they've acquired from Alex Dabrinkic to Alex Lyon and that to, um, you know, a number of things they've done. And with the young players they've got coming, I really think Detroit will be the team that jumps ahead of Buffalo and Ottawa and starts to challenge Boston and Tampa and Toronto towards the top of the division. Well, and you haven't, you haven't mentioned the Stanley cup finalist yet either in the Florida yeah, Panthers. That's true. That's true. Uh, well, cause the word fluke jumps to mind. I'm not fluke. That's a bit unfair. They're a better team than that, but um, they're going to lose some players. And I mean, they would never, well, they got, they, they got a hot goalie that got them past Boston and then got them past Toronto, two teams that in my mind, they weren't as good as, um, but that's what the playoffs often is. And so is goalie Bob going to do that again for a longer string next year and make them a great team? I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. And going back to the, going back to the quick on, on Damien's point about the number one goalie, you know, Vegas, Vegas won the cup with basically yeah. two. I don't know how you want to characterize their goaltenders, but no, no, I, what, what I meant though was Kevin was just, uh, and I think you're exactly right. I mean, I don't know what it takes to win a Stanley cup, but a great I, meant defense. More, I meant more to look at some other teams, part-time goalie and think yes. he can be your number one. That's right. what I meant. Right. Right. But, but, but I, I think the answer is truthfully, um is a great defense you know you looked at the, the if you looked at the red wing teams of the late 90s and even all the way to mike babcock's team in 2009 um their defense was so driven and so good led by nick lidstrom that you did not need a spectacular goaltender to to win a championship it was spend your money on other priorities on your blue line that's where I think Boston, Kevin, is ahead of a lot of the teams because yes, 
I, I think the Bruin defense is very good. I mean, yeah. when you talk about what's not in Boston, nobody's mentioning there's, well, there's still McAvoy, Hampus Lindholm. They're getting everybody signed. They're doing a good job that way. And that's, that, that was the best assist that Linus Allmark and, and Swayman had last year was a solid defense, right? Yes, solid defense, and and not to take anything away from either goalie. Both both goalies were good as well. So I, 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 I agree wholeheartedly. And come playoff time to win the cup to carry the extension through here, is is you've got to have team attention to team attention to defense. So the forwards have to buy into that too. Uh, if if you're going to have a serious serious cup run, everybody's got to have that first and foremost. As those uh, as the Oilers were an incredible offensive unit, but. Came time to playoffs. They they knew they knew that that was part of the deal. Mm-hmm. So so this kind of leads me to where the Toronto Maple Leafs are defensively, and you know and in goal. And the biggest challenge that Brad Treliving has now as the new general manager is how do you how do you improve that part of the game? And I'm not sure he can, Damien. I, you know, I mean, people are turning him down to come here. Red, Redco Goodis wouldn't come to Toronto to play. Yeah, well, um, oh, well, um, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I, I know, I know he's not the biggest name, but he's, a, he's, no, a, he's but, an effective guy. But I mean, you, you know, he turned them down, but John Klingberg and Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi all said yes. So I think teams, players go to different cities, different teams for a whole pile of reasons. Um, you know, Alex Kerfoot has ended up in Arizona. Why anybody would want to go to Arizona, I have no idea and play in front of, you know, 5,000 people every night, but that's his business, not mine. Um, but, you know, in terms of Toronto, I mean, they'll be the same. They'll be a 105, 110-point team, and then they'll, you know, they, they made one step forward last year by winning in the first round. They'll try to win two rounds. And... Maybe the coach, if things don't go well along the way during the season, might get fired. They might bring somebody else in. But this is in Toronto. It's every year is kind of the same, though. They don't go out in the offseason and try to get better. All they do is try to replace what they've lost and build their entire hope around their key guys, Nylander, Marner, Matthews, getting better or getting it enough to lift them over. Um uh, you know, the top and, you know, the, I'm, you know, people have said it should have happened by now. How many teams have been led by 24, 25 year old players and had them lead, lead them to Stanley cups. It doesn't happen. Generally speaking, you have to have, it takes long, you know, how old was Steven Stamkos when he finally won it? How old was Victor head? Um, so the problem for teams like Toronto, given the way the, the system's set up now, is will they run out of time and those guys will become free agents and they'll lose one or two or all of them at some point. And that's the challenge. Um, but that's, you know, that's what the Leafs are all about. Will our guys get it in time for us to, you know, for them to win the cup? Do you, um, do you think Matthews is overvalued in Toronto? Do I think he is? Yeah. I think he's I, I think he's kind of weirdly undervalued, to be honest. I mean, this guy is I think you can make an argument that he is the best player they've ever acquired through the entry draft. You know, the mm-hmm. other ones would be Daryl Sittler, um, Lanny McDonald, Wendell. obviously. Wendell. You know. Yeah, well, I would put him far ahead of with all no, the no, but I, no, but I'm just saying that that kind of in, gives you an indication of that. Um, yeah, and they and, of, they, and let's face it, they they are a team that's not had that they've made a lot of mistakes in the entry draft. I, yeah. I mean, he is he's the, he's one of the best five players in the game, and people in Toronto kind of look at him askance, or some people do. I think that maybe has to do because he's not a good old Canadian boy like doug gilmore or wendell clark that might have something to do with it they never loved mats as much as they loved wendell um or dougie or dougie you're right right and you know he's not a you know matthews is not a physical guy goes out there and beats people up and uh, puts people through the boards he's just a fantastic in my view player that 31 other teams around the league are hoping the leafs make the mistake and make him available that they'll go up and get him. Kevin, you're probably not, you, you, probably you, not you, every you, Leaf fan would agree with me, but going back to their great draft picks, 
Tuka Rask was one of their better ones. Oh, yeah. thanks for bringing yeah. that up. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Now, you, from a from afar, a guy who, you know, hears a lot about Toronto and sees Toronto a few times a year. What's what's the what's the book on Matthews outside of Southern Ontario? You know, I've always felt. Obviously, I don't see him game to game. But when I see him, obviously, it's the skill, this goal scoring ability, which is the ultimate differentiator. But the fact that he's never, by my eye, never been with a cohesive team that allows me to really judge who he is and what he is uh, in that they haven't had the franchise goaltender, they haven't had the franchise defenseman. So they've got this collection of, of showcase young forwards and it never adds up, at least by my eye, it's, it's never added up. So you, 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 I, I've, the, the games I've seen him play, yes, he stands out um, because of ability to finish. He doesn't stay. He hasn't stood out to me for all the other things that I'll say are sort of the Bergeron things. And maybe that's not unfair yeah. because it's only one Bergeron, but cohesiveness of game overall comprehensive game that i can't judge because i i haven't seen it in my glimpses you guys see him day to day yeah i mean i think you you see uh the 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 you know bergeron compliments pasternak right the younger guy yeah matthews is matthews has never been the young guy with an older guy like that to a learn from b understand the game and what's what it takes and be, be complimented by it. I mean, Matthews, and I guess it was, you could argue it was supposed to be Tavares, but it's not the same thing. You know, it's not the same thing as the relationship, I would argue, from afar anyways, between, you know, Pasternak's brilliance and Bergeron's all-around understanding of the entire, what it takes to win and how to play the game. And, and I, I think that's a shortcoming of the Leafs, you know, that, you know, you've got to provide your young players with the correct leadership. And the, but again, the economics of the game plays something in it and decisions you make. And if you can't afford to go out because of cap reasons, go out and get anybody like you could have in 19, what, in the year 2000, you could have gone out and spent all that money on somebody mm -hmm. to be that guy. Can't do it anymore. So it is what it is. Actually, you, you both bring up a really good point that, um, when I think of the Boston Bruins, even to this day, so you talked about Bergeron and what he carries through and what he, and the effect he's had on a guy like David Pasternak and, and, you know, put Zdeno Chara in that list about carrying on the legacy and being part of teaching young players. I, I don't, I don't see that in Toronto. I, I don't see that. And I think they've tried to find that guy, Damien. Uh, even in the short term, you know, even when Kyle was running it, trying to find a, maybe Nick Felino can teach it. Uh, even this year, trying to find Ryan O'Reilly to, you know, to teach it, to try try to keep that magic in a bottle of, you know, camaraderie, team teamwork, leadership, all that stuff. Or do you not buy into that? I can see that in no, your face. I, no, no, no. I, I, I think you're right. And I think part of it is, is that you can't just go out and get somebody from another team. That's always been the belief here in Toronto. Now, obviously, Boston got Zdeno Chara from the Ottawa Senators by a free agency, but he wasn't what he was when they got him. He was still partially formed and then became fully formed and then became a superstar. And together he and, and now they did have Bergeron. But they did, you can't go out and buy that one guy. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly was was a nice little acquisition, but you, you, he's not even close to what he was in his prime, right? No. You got to get those guys at the right age, at the right part of their career in the organization, in their prime, um, to then drive the whole organization. But it's not easy to do, and it's the it's probably the only reason the Boston Bruins are the the only franchise I think of in the NHL that's been able to successfully avoid being a team that won and then had to go all the way to the bottom, go and get good players and now go all the way to the top is because they had Chara and Bergeron and Pasternak and Krejci and enough really good pieces from that 2011 championship that they were able to stretch it out for another decade without having to become crappy first. And I, okay, and I Kevin, have to say, 
I, I'm not sure it ever would have happened if not for the Chara free agency signing, because let's not forget, they did bottom out. That's what got them Joe Thornton and, and, and Sergey right. Samson in the right. first, in the first round in 97. And so from, I'm not going to call it the, the failed Joe Thornton era, but ultimately they traded him, traded him after seven or eight years here. And by the time Chara showed up, uh, the, the, there was a lot here that wasn't happening. There, there wasn't this defined Bruins way, if you will. They, you know, they had Dave Lewis as a coach. That was right. Peter Shelley's first hire. They got rid of him right away. Chara really was the franchise reset here. And maybe maybe Bergeron alone would have figured that out because he was really young when Chara showed up. I, I, I think he probably would have, but it was a hell of a lot easier with Chara here. There's there's just no one that I've ever come across in hockey who, you know, his his discipline, his his fitness, his diet, his commitment, all of that in terms of being a focal point for every player who walked in that room. Amazing. Well, let me, and John, if I can just ask Kevin about this, because as you know, in Toronto, Brendan Shanahan, his leadership of the team is, is talked about a good deal. Where, Kevin, does Cam Neely fit in this whole thing that's happened, you know, that the, the success of the Bruins in the past whatever number of years, where, where does his leadership in your mind fit in because he's not the general manager but he's there and he's present and he's very much a part of what they try to do yeah so why was he hired he was he was hired because they lacked a face of the franchise and there was a whole lot of commotion ongoing lingering long time commotion about the franchise didn't have a face uh to represent ownership and really that's what that's what cam's role was and in many ways remains. He was finally a, a face of the franchise at a time when, you know, the, the on-ice product really wasn't. Um, so I, I, I would say, I, I, you know, I like Cam. Uh, I like, yeah, yeah, you know, one There's of the great- coming. <laughs> yeah, it's a but. I mean, what, what you know, the day-to-day -day orchestration of cap, identifying players, all of that, that isn't Cam. That right, that is Don. Yeah, yeah, that's done. And and frankly, should be, right? Uh right. Uh Neely's role value uh has been in my mind the fact that he is a voice. He doesn't use it a lot. Uh when you when he's asked to, he responds to that. But he has he has not been uh in my mind a, a really defining element of the franchise itself or how they've how they've uh, gone about roster building i think in in some ways he's interjected himself in places uh like on the on the david backus hiring i think that was of the cam ilk uh and that was not a good hire uh <laughs> so i think more and more that's become sweeney and not not that his you know his free agent hires haven't been all that good where Sweeney's made his mark in my mind. He has, he has gone out at a number of trade deadlines and, and acquired uh, good assets at a price. You know, they, yep. he's, that, that's hurt in terms of development because of draft picks. But I would say the players he's identified at draft time, again, he, he did a great job this year and wanted it add up to a first round knockout. So you, you, can, you well, can, all those moves and they can all be wrong in the end. And, may, uh, and maybe the best thing that ever happened to Don Sweeney as the general manager is that David Pasternak fell in the draft. Yes. <laughs> to the Boston Bruins, uh, to the uh, omission of every other president of hockey operations in the NHL could turn to their manager and their scouting staff and said, how did they get Pasternak? And we drafted before them. Right. So kind of like, boys, this kind was of like, uh, kind of like Mike Bossy in 77. I think that was yeah, 77. Okay. Draft. Very simple. And anybody, anybody under the age of 50, just Google Mike Bossy. That'll be good. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> boys, this was fun. Thanks for doing it. Appreciate the time. And, uh, maybe we'll do it again soon. All Love right. To. Sounds good. Nice Thanks to talk to you, Kevin. You too, man. Kevin, Kevin, Paul DuPont, Damian Cox, Damian and I will be back after this. Always great that Kevin gives us a time on his holiday to talk. Uh, and and you talked at the top of the show, uh, Damien, about 
you know, providing perspective. And uh, I make no bones about it. When I was running hockey night in Canada, we uh, we built a thing called the satellite hot stove. And yep. uh, the man who I give more credit to the satellite hot stove than anybody else is, well, first of all, my love of CNN and four boxes on the screen all the time. I thought that was always kind of cool. Uh, is Kevin Paul DuPont because I used to do enough games in Boston and on Sunday mornings I'd go and read the newspaper yep, and Kevin right. would have Kevin <laughs> would have this full and this was a broadsheet this wasn't a tabloid this was a broadsheet full yep. broadsheet hockey notes and I'm it I'm I'm sitting there at the airport reading this thing and I'm saying God why can't we do this on television There's got to be a way to do this type of thing on television now time is obviously an issue but there's got to be a fun way to, to you know to do things in bullet form and and enjoy it and and kevin paul dupont much to al strack and chagrin because strack always tells people that i invented the hot stove because of him not true it was kevin <laughs> not true it was kevin Stop. paul dupont's hockey I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a nasty tweet or something now for sure, but <laughs> that's but that's but Kevin Paul Dupont. That's why Kevin. I I've always had a great affinity for Kevin and his love of the game and and his 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 job as a journalist. Well, and and uh, I I know we got to wrap up, but I mean Boston. First of all, I mean it was kind of loser town for a long time, right? After the Bruins yeah. won in the early '70s, they couldn't win again. The Red Sox couldn't win. The Patriots couldn't win. The Celtics, and all of a sudden now they win everything all the time. The you know the number of of, of parades they have in Boston every year is kind of boring. And meanwhile, the we sit here in is... Toronto. We said, yeah. "Well, we won MLS." <laughs> Hold on, now there, there, there was a Raptor. There was a Raptor. But I'll tell yeah. you what, we we're going to talk a bit more about the Raptors next week. I don't think the Raptors are in very good shape right now. I know you no. you, you probably haven't followed them, but uh, there's there's something smelly going on with the Toronto Raptors. I and I, it, it, there's they're they're you wonder what what the heck is going on. See, with now you've just, and Bobby. Now you've just you've just ticked off all the Raptor fans going into the weekend. They're going to be ready for you on Monday. The great thing is, I know that, and you know what they'll say. What do you know about basketball? <laughs> exactly. What? And, and, and you know what my answer is, Damien? It doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I, I can, as you as you taught me when I was a child, always reading your out columns. You, 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 you can always have an opinion, right, Mister? You can always, have as an I opinion. always said, I never said I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for this, pal. Okay, good talking to you, Damien Cox. That's it for the week on the McCowan Podcast. We'll talk to you on Monday. Have a great weekend, folks.